Now, Klaus, tell me, what do we do when we are in conversation or debate with someone who disagrees with socialism? Do we listen to their opinions respectfully and then explain why ours are better? <laughs> I'll ask again. Uh, what do we do when we are confronted and in debate with a non-socialist? Call them a racist. Call them a racist. Call them sexist. Call them sexist. You might come across uh, someone who disagrees with you who identifies as a female. If they believe in evil ideas like lower taxes and they're a woman, they must be uh, experiencing internalized misogyny or being paid by rich older men to put out those views. It's common knowledge. And what are some other ways which we can counter the arguments backed by facts and statistics? Say so they want to privatise our NHS. Exactly. Straight away, even if the debate is not about the NHS. You say that they're funded by dodgy dark money. Dodgy dark money, exactly. They might bring up uh, Venezuela or uh, North Korea. Can't we just say that wasn't real socialism? And then just change the subject and uh, talk about Saudi Arabia? Brilliant, brilliant. You say it was not real socialism. Class, repeat after me. Not, not real socialism. There we go. And what about anti-Semitism? That's a big smear campaign by the mainstream media. Exactly. It's a smear campaign. That's all you need to know. All right, class, that's the bell. You know what to do. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Hello and welcome back once again. My name is Riley. I am here in studio with some of the usual crowd and some of the unusual crowd. Uh, next to me is Nate. Hi, Nate. Producing. How are you? Hussein. Hello. That was an answer to your question. I'm Hussein. That's how I am. Oh, good. There's worse things you could be, like someone who doesn't eat ass. There's yeah. Wor- there's worse things you could be, like a member of low-tax Chloe's weird class. Damn, the, ass, the, the non-ass-eating class. The, non, the non-ass-eating class. Milo Edwards? Uh, it's it's me, your boy, one of, one of the usual crowd podcast, Kaiser Soze. <laughs> and uh, comedian Victor Petrushkan. Victor, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, I, th- I thought that I was the unusual suspect. I, w- I was waiting for everyone to kind of say their own thing, and I was waiting for the Kaiser Soze, and you just said it before me. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what they told me about the West. <laughs> You're going to have an idea and then a Westerner is going to come along and steal it from you. This yeah, is what happens when Victor and I don't discuss what we're going to say before <laughs> the episode begins. Great minds. A- accidental colonialism. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I hate it when I accidentally colonize a joke. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, personally, I think we could we could all learn a thing or two from the insane school video that has been posted by whatever weird dark money foundation low tax Chloe works for today. Because, oh Hang my on, goodness. No, we're, we're socialists. We have the dark money. <laughs> it was... It was quite, I can almost not describe it. It feels like, it feels like some sort of very weird found video art, like something Jasper Johns might put together. Like it, it was, it, as far as I can tell, it was set in a classroom where low-tax Chloe is teaching like 
the high-ranking staff of the IEA uh, that socialists will try to criticize America for supporting Saudi Arabia and will try to uncover the dark money that funds their think tanks as opposed to debating the ideas that they generate. Also, isn't the IEA like a travel agents organization? I mean, from a perspective of someone who's had to make shitty videos before for like corporate overlords, it wasn't necessarily badly done in terms of, I mean, okay, the editing oh, no, was, it was. Look, <laughs> the lighting isn't great. The editing was sloppy and weird. It, it seemed as though it was being edited by somebody who last learned how to do or like developed their skill set when like you used to have two VHS tapes. You have to blend between them. Don't get me wrong. But I think the thing that made it really fucking bad was that the, none of the jokes were funny and everyone just seemed as though they were there because like they didn't actually speak English and they were hired just to say these funny words out loud, not knowing what they meant. They had this, this dead eyed sort of like I'm a fish out of water expression. Like they like, went, it's like they went to like Wix very early in the morning, like a, a DIY store. They picked up a bunch of like day work, you know, Polish day work. So they're like, okay, we're going to pay you like 500, like, no, less than that. We'll like, pay you like 100 pounds. If you just sit in this classroom and just say stuff. But when I say that... it would wear these weird shirts. Because they were all wearing weird shirts. They were wearing weird shirts. I was, was, was going to say, like, how do you find someone who's a Polish translator and, and tell them in Polish, dress like a twat. Hmm. But what I was going to say was, uh, it, it just... It wasn't necessarily bad. It just looked like it was shot on a DSLR with like very minimal tech behind it. It was and like also 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 settings. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it just it, and gave me the impression that it was the first video that any of them had ever done. And they were <laughs> they were expecting a really good grade from their like fifth grade teacher, uh, but instead they put it online. Yeah, that's the thing. I was just waiting for Rocco Sifredi to come in. So do you girls like low taxes and dick? <laughs> it's the that's the but that, this is this is what's a, what's incredible. And like, look, the U, the UK has now been inundated with this kind of video attaining popularity ever since the disastrous launch of Turning Point UK. More on that next week uh, or later this week, rather. Um, what do you mean this has been inundated? So first of all, why do they have to be foreign? As a foreigner, I totally <laughs> disagree with that. They're all fucking imperialist British bastards or whatever they're from. Anyway, the English, is, <laughs> English is their first language. English is their first language, but, but they guess, are all yeah, really stupid. Their, their delivery just was so bad that it just seemed to me like the only excuse for sounding that much. Like It reminded me of... Uh, El Mariachi, the movie where the villain is a white dude from America who doesn't speak Spanish and he's clearly reading from title cards and has no <laughs> idea what he's saying. <laughs> what, what, I, what, what really... <laughs> What really gets Esta me? Possible que el taxes will lower. Oh. <laughs> Ustedes, mujeres, Kieran. Oh, I don't even know how to say dick Christian in Spanish anymore. <laughs> oh, right. That's how you say dick in Spanish, Christian Nimitz. <laughs> um, it's, what I, lo I really loved about it is that they. Is that a lot of these sort of faux grassroots right-wing organizations that are all just funded by like different shell companies that are either owned by the Cox or also fund like, like, like Contras in Central America, all of them just, they all sort of are just complaining that no one wants to debate their ideas with them. Who could possibly want to debate with Christian Nimitz? And like, how could they possibly think Wait, that... Wait, like, hang on. The people in this video thought they were starring in a video being made by the Koch brothers, but it turned out they were starring in a video being made by the Koch brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to edit it very carefully to get the desired message. Wasn't this video made so we talk about it now? What? Aren't we the fools for falling into that fucking trap? Like, any person, like, logical, normal person would look at this and go, like, this is shit. Like, Oh, yeah, it's total shit. Don't get me wrong. Why what the fuck are we so, talking about it? 
This is actually a really serious point. So uh, Luke Bailey, who was on the show a while ago, he did in a very interesting thread about this online today, where, well, what he what he mentioned was that all these videos, like Reason TV videos, were made months ago by, I guess, like the Taxpayers Alliance, IEA, weird, you know, whatever yeah. fucking... They're all the same group. Right, they're all just like, you know, they're all the same bath towel. Oh, just you know what it is? It's it. in, the, in The Simpsons when Marge and Homer go to eat at the, at the various... Um, uh, street food market. Right. They both get one goes to um, Homer goes to London broil and Marge gets a curry. And then there's just a chef in the middle who just puts mystery meat from the same vat onto two conveyor belts. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all a- they're all the same group of villains from the Phantom <laughs> Menace. It's all so, the, yeah. so all these videos, including all the videos that Turning Point UK were using, um, came from Reason TV. And before Turning Point UK basically co-opted them, these videos were getting like maybe 200, 300 views, like pretty much nothing. Um, so. Like, he was basically saying that, like, you know, there's no reason, number one, there's no reason why these videos are going viral except for the fact that, like, Turning Point UK got so much attention by the British media and by journalists on Twitter generally. And then he looked at the numbers and he saw that, like, most of the engagement around these videos and around Turning Point UK was centered on Twitter. Like, on Facebook, there was pretty much nothing. Um, on like Snapchat, there was nothing. On Instagram, there was nothing. So it was really just the fact that like Twitter, like the Twitter cabal of journalists, uh, leftist idiots who do podcasts, uh, like we were the ones who were like driving this attention. <laughs> God rest so, them. So on the one hand, like the argument, the argument makes sense. Like we gave them like so much attention because they were just so incredibly stupid. And low tax Chloe actually did. You know, what everyone was basically just saying, this is like the shittest video I've ever seen. This does look like a porno, Chloe. We don't care if you did it in a primary school. It looks <laughs> like a porn and that makes it weird. Um, <laughs> she responded by saying, it was really great and we're going to put out another video next week. So like, I'm pretty sure like they're aware to a certain degree that this is stupid, but it's kind of like taking this new line of like, even if you tell us that this is the dumbest thing and even if you tell us for like shitting our pants in public is embarrassing the fact that you're giving us attention is enough so wait people are saying they're going to ride diaper controversy to power i mean pretty i mean isn't that what charlie kirk did yeah that's kind (laughs) of what he did he diapered himself into the white house right people are saying it's weird that we made this porno video in a primary school but what they don't know is that it was our step primary school (laughs) (laughs) so this is my steps this is my step my step tax account and a lot of steps going on also charlie kirk looks like a playmobil man (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, the truth is that if you're giving, if, if by making fun of it, you're giving it a bigger audience, then all across the UK, people who look like the human version of Patrick from SpongeBob SquarePants are going to see this video, like the guy with the, 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 the center part here in that video, and be like, oh, wow, oh, wow yeah. there's a group that understands me, <laughs> which is dangerous because, yes, there, there are some, some weird, you know, uh, jelly bean shaped people out there who really hate paying taxes because they think the money is going to people who have sex when they don't get to. <laughs> they will absolutely, even if the video looks like, you know, non white I mean, balanced brazzers, they will absolutely <laughs> follow think about the shit. It, if your body is like a jelly bean. Would you really care about taxes? Isn't humidity more important because you cause like melt and you stick to people's fingers? I think that's <laughs> isn't isn't that why like all these Tory, all these like right wing guys like really hate the idea of like poor people getting council flats because they're like, oh man, they get their own place to fuck and I still have to live with my parents. No, they get the, <laughs> the, the, people who get council flats, they get like locations to film that kind of sketch that they just watch. Now. <laughs> but one thing I also want to point A out: flat in Hungary. Is <laughs> this is this is one of the reasons that like I, I I have this ongoing theory that being a right wing um public figure is basically actually just a kind of kink where you're a sub and you get off and being humiliated. Because like 
if you think about this entire video from the clip we played in the cold open to you know uh, now um it's all about them talking about all of the reasons that they're legitimately shit it's like oh yeah everyone just says you're funded by a bunch of dark money and your ideas make no sense and it's like yeah everyone does say that and you're saying it about yourself there's a reason people say that you moron it's not money dark money just because it comes from the dark web okay i sold those pictures fair and square (laughs) (laughs) Is that marrying like Swiss francs? Oh, it's like it's like because all of these, all of these, all because all <laughs> these think tanks are all funded by the Cokes, right? Like all of they're not, and they're not really think tanks. All they are is just they're just publishing organizations like for insane wing people, right? Like they're they're people, right? Like they have families, they care for their children, they hopefully don't you know harass their wives and stuff. So they're human beings, like left people are, right? yes, and they just have different, you know, they care about the other things uh, when it comes to the economy and life in general, right? They're just a few idiots who are on the extreme in the same way that, you know, every time, like I have this theory that every time we gather as a group, as humans, there's going to be a dick in that group, right? Like we are gathered here today. All right, it's that's me. It's <laughs> me. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm the dick, obviously. <laughs> you know, asking questions like, aren't we all human, right? Yeah. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> Some of us are lizards. Like this thing, man, it's it's like the reason why we're talking about it, that's how they make money, right? Like yeah. you're a podcast, that's how you survive as a podcast. And we make money by making fun of them. It's the human centipede. It's, it <laughs> is. <laughs> it really is the human centipede. <laughs> fuck, fuck, we need to stop. <laughs> I, isn't, is, what else is happening in the world that's not this? Well, this? well, <laughs> a whole as, bunch as, of other as, shit. As it actually. so happens, uh, <laughs> we had a chance to speak to some people who could give us a little bit of perspective on the home office and how not great their job has been in developing a system for EU residents to apply for residency before the hard Brexit cliff at the end of next month. Yeah, but when was the last time you spoke to your parents? You know, I just texted them. That's nice. See, see, how Duh. are they all right? Is yeah, they're good. Okay? It's, it's, cold, it's cold in I, Indiana I, I, right I, now. I only speak to my parents in business situations because mm. I am a business guy. Yeah. So mm. unless it's about the deal or about the hustle or the grind, I just don't want to know. I only speak to my dad, the Sag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> About what kinds of apps we can develop together as a family. <laughs> My parents go to a different school. I met them on holiday. You wouldn't know them. <laughs> they live in Canada. Okay, so that's, that's what I we're going to do. I haven't spoken to my dad since I was 13. We're going to wind down the podcast and just talk to our parents. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's it, everybody. The podcast no more is podcasts. over. Victor ended podcasting. Victor ended you should podcast. thank him. Victor, we're all free. Victor ended podcasting. I mean, to podcasting. be fair, like, he's got a point in the sense that like, pod- all podcasters have like par- like issue like parents issues right yeah that's why we've become our i like to think of us as our listeners parents that's why we invited victor on because we heard that he also has parents issues Um, so right, so the Sag has done some some app development. The Sag, so what Saji Javid did basically was he took the advice that he's always giving. He learned to code, and he basically what improvised a terrible app for EU settlement, EU settled status over the course of like an afternoon, having pounded several four hour energies. Exactly, and so Hussein spoke with some EU rights, EU citizens' rights organizations, yes. correct? Um, I spoke to a group called the Free Million. They're an EU citizens' rights organization. Um, they're working with, so they're run by like EU citizens, but they're also working with others who, you know, in general, the, generally the big anxiety is like what happens once Brexit happens, like regardless of whether it's going to be soft, hard, you know, red, white, and blue, clean, yeah. semi, 
Yeah. Name only. Nice and poached. Yeah. Um, mm. I prefer Scrambled. to do Brexit edging, where you get really close to the edge, but you never go over. I like the Brexit. Mm. I like Brexit rimming. I think that's a good. It's a good. Uh, Good, this good is this is my step union of European <laughs> countries. And thus, we return to the human centipede. Uh, um, so they're like, you know, they're they're trying to figure out, well, what the hell happened to like, you know, the people who, and their big issue is like, well, there's lots of EU citizens who actually don't know um, that they have to actually register to stay in this country anyway. So, and in light of like the Windrush situation, there is this like fear that you know these people who haven't registered will be basically told to you know go. Are we suggesting that? The Sag might oversee mass deportations of people See, who have a right to be here because I mean, of pure I, incompetence. I mean, generally, it's never happened before. Generally, like, I don't think that I don't think it'll happen immediately because I think there is like, you know, for for, for what it's worth, like these kind of pro, you know, these FBP organizations and stuff. Like they have like really, they have really driven, they have really driven the whole like, you know, you've got all these EU citizens here, and if they don't have their paperwork, like you're going to oversee like mass deportations and like you know on a very on like an optics level that won't look good also because on an optics level loads of these people are white whereas like you know bear in mind that this week like a, a, a charter plane filled with like windrush generation uh descendants just flew back to jamaica and no one gave a shit so mm. well the thing is that um the deportations of eu citizens can't start until seaborne freight has acquired the boats which it is currently <laughs> negotiating very hard uh, with a Nigerian man who's assured him that he has a large number of boats <laughs> C- that C- he's acquired C- from military bases. <laughs> so do we want to uh, roll this footage of your interview? Roll the tape. All right. How much, infor- how much information have you received in regards to applying, to, applying for like, the right to remain? Because I think, the bit, you know, obviously, you know, we're looking at how difficult it is, technologically speaking, to even do this. Uh, you know, what are like the <clears throat> what are like the broader? Do you know what I mean? Like, what are, what are like the broad, what are like the broader concerns around the difficulties of applying for settling in the UK again? Yeah, well, the the first thing I, w- I want to say is that there has been a big period of uncertainty. So the negotiations have taken a long time, and uh, we have been waiting for. Over two years in order to know exactly uh, in what form or what sort of uh, mechanism is going to be applied to us to be ordered in order to stay. So now we know that this is going to take the form of the settlement scheme. But uh, in reality, not a lot of EU citizens are aware of this. Because uh, a lot of people don't think they have to apply. So we're talking about long-term residents, people who are married to um, to UK citizens, for example. These people think that, you know, they have been here for decades. They are secured. So this is for people who are new in the country, for example, which is not true. You know, everybody has to register. And then there is concern about... Uh, vulnerable and at-risk groups. So this is people who are, you know, the disabled, retired EU citizens, elderly citizens, people from, you know, at-risk groups such as the, the Roma community, for example, or children in care. You know, when you start digging, you can find a lot of issues coming up and a lot of problems. And the information we have received until now has been very sketchy, to be, to be honest to you. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you about what other kind of effect, what, how is it affecting 
the people that you work with and represent, you know, because I imagine that the anxiety that comes out of that isn't, you know, that must, you know, it must be like affecting people's like mental health or like just like people's general well-being. Like it's probably not good to kind of feel this anxious like so close to like this decision. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, uh, still, you know, the, the uncertainty remains, and uh, a lot of people feel very anxious at the prospect of having to apply for something because we didn't need to do this before. So a lot of people are very anxious about the application process because it is an application process and an application carries the risk of rejection. So the Home Office has promised that they are going to be, you know, very generous, that they are going to be on the side of the applicant and look for, you know, reasons to grant settlement status rather than reasons to refuse settlement status. But on the other hand, if you, you know, listen to the news and you hear what is happening with the Windrush generation, so that's creating a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Is there anything that the government could do? to ease that anxiety, like considering how close this is and considering how no one's quite sure how it's going to work. Um, you know, is there anything that the government could do to just make it easier, whether that's like just making a better system or making more like registration, places to register for resettlement, like more accessible? Yes, initially, in the, in you know, this is talking about the ideal world. What we, as, as the familiar, propose to the government and also to the European Union is to have a registration system rather than an application. So this would take the form of people just going to their local council and uh, going with a few bills and their passport and having local centers where they could apply or having points where they could post their documents. Uh, but, you know, this is unfortunately not the route we are, we are going down at the moment. So in terms of the settlement scheme, yeah, we do need much more local support. I, I consider, for example, from the councils and the local authorities, and we still don't know what sort of part local authorities are going to, to take on this and if they have the resources to support us. So at the moment, we have 15 centers to submit documentation. And, uh, you know, if remember, this is all a process that is going to take form. Uh, it's, it's a mobile phone application. So in case the application fails, which we can talk about, you know, in, in a minute, uh, you have around at the moment 15 local points where you can attend and show you and, and have your passport scanned. And they are uh, the home office is contemplating uh, opening around, you know, increasing to about 50 points. But still, this is not enough. You know, remember, we are 3.5 million people and we are all around the UK. I mean, because I, I guess like they released the mobile phone app to make that easier, but it's messed up that like it only works on Android, like a certain type of phone and like a certain type of like the, the tech, the, the bad tech delivery on this has meant that lots of people are now at risk. Um, and I sort of wanted to ask you about like, what are the limits of that technology when it comes to like vulnerable populations like EU citizens who are, who don't, who won't know what will happen in March? Uh, well, yes, that, that, that is, that is very problematic because there are a lot of people who are not very, you know, technologically literate, for example, uh, uh, just to start with, you need to have a particular type of Android phone, the one that is able to scan your passport. So not a lot of people 
have this type of phone. It doesn't work on iPhone either because of data sharing issues. So you have to find someone who has the right phone and scan your passport. And it is very complicated for people to navigate, uh, you know, the system. For example, about my personal experience, um, I live with my, my elderly parents here in the UK. So I have to submit an application on their behalf because they would be lost without, without me doing it for them. And uh, there are um, at least uh, groups, uh, for example, the Roma community, uh, the, uh, our organization is working very closely with other organizations that protect other groups. So we have been working with the Roma community and apparently only 5% of them have been able to submit an application without help. Aren't there like too many immigrants, man? Come on. It's like, <laughs> hear me, up, hear me out, right? Agree. Like I have, I have, a, I have like a, uh, an anecdote about it. There's a, I'm Romanian, right? I live in Seven Sisters. There's a Romanian shop in Seven Sisters. In the intersection, I go, oh, it's fantastic. I can eat the food that I have at home, right? Like Romanian shop written on the front, Romanian flag, I go in there, Romanian products, like Romanian tomatoes, Romanian apples, you know, Romanian stuff. I go to to the desk to pay for my Romanian stuff. Turkish guy. That doesn't even speak Romanian. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Too many immigrants, man. So wait, are you suggesting that the Turks are taking Romanian jobs in Britain? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and in, ma the in, in many ways, Romania is just like rightfully supposed to be like greater Turkey. Well, yeah. So really, we need to all submit to the, gr the glory of the Ottoman just Empire. Just like Greece. You know, the people who are most at risk of like the, settle the, the settlement scheme, like cock up. Uh, they tend to be like poor Europeans. They tend to be people who work like low paid jobs and don't have access to like you know, lawyers who can sort things out for them or like, even the information available online because so much, in, you know, the government will say that we put so much information online um, for you to access. So it should be easy for you to get to places. So in any sort of situation like that, um, you know, it tends to affect like the poorest and the least successful like, people who are least accessible. Also like EU citizens who have like moved to like work in places um, no, you know, in like small villages and towns, uh, where even like physical buildings where they can like, you know, where they can s sort out like settlement scheme, like that's far away. So like, for example, like if you lived in Cornwall, you would have to go like all the way up to pretty much like, you know, the Midlands to kind of register if you didn't have an Android phone. So I don't know, like, you know, the most cynical reading is that this is actually a big ploy by Samsung to get people to buy the, buy the S9. <laughs> it was a ploy. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, I was, I thought I was applying for settled status, but it was just actually just trying, trying to, to charge, charge the my Samsung Galaxy S7. S7. Like, but maybe that's what Brexit was. Brexit was just a big advertising scheme. <laughs> Brexit. All Bre Brexit was just Brexit was just a, a, a like Samsung hired the world's greatest ad agency to sell um, like what twenty or so phones. Yeah, they, well, they hired this guy called Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> um, who they found in like a closet. They were like, <laughs> be, be, be our brain god. <laughs> who thinks this man is attractive? Like who Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, yeah but he's not Samsung. like a, he's got so many ridges. What he has corners. There's a lot of edges, yeah, and he's a very <laughs> cornery man. He but, you know, so is a, like a Picasso painting, but we don't admire a Picasso painting because it looks good. Look, I'm, I'm very convinced that there are lots of people who want to fuck, fuck a Picasso painting. Mm. But I, I'm he looks a bit like if you tried to create a man of no particular race. <laughs> <laughs> it's, what is it? <laughs> but, I mean, he is kind of a lizard person when you get down to it. I mean, he does look yeah. as though like a lot of makeup covering the scaly armor. 
But when you get down to it. Also, also, like back back on the on the subject of this interview, right? <laughs> you do you do get the sense, right, that this was a policy designed to fail. Like you you how could you be that incompetent? Unless it's slightly on purpose. I also just think that there's this incredible faith in technology in this country. And you've talked about this about the Instagram Tories who just believe that an app will save us. Yeah. Uh, I feel that on one hand, you can definitely make the case that this is meant to be... This is meant to give them the opportunity to deport as many people as possible. But also from a practical standpoint, I think that it's just this idea that you outsource it to an app developer. They must know better than anyone else. But clearly, that's not been the case. Um, and Shocking. And 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 the human consequences of it. I feel like if an app fails to get your groceries delivered, you'll be mad, but that's okay. If an app means you wind up getting deported from where you live, you're gonna be fucking pissed. And it's like that's what's <laughs> happening right now. It's a momentous decision in people's lives is basically predicated on whether or not this app works on an Android phone. Which, as you'll hear learn in my later segment, apparently there are thousands of models of Android phones. So. As you said, maybe it really just is a Samsung marketing campaign. And this is why this is why Matt Hancock is superior to the Sat, right? Because uh, Matt Hancock would have parkoured easily over this problem because, <laughs> as we know, the Matt Hancock MP app is available on all platforms. At, yeah, at least the Matt Hancock MP app is widely available, and it's for the and it and that's Matt Hancock just sort of advertising a bunch of pointless bullshit. And you can get it in Hungarian. I'm not sure if you can get it in Hungarian. <laughs> that would, I mean, that would be so cool. So basically, the government that cannot negotiate with the European Union, hey, we give you apples, you give us pears, also made this mistake? It's could have predicted. Wow. <laughs> but this is, this is, to me, like as, uh, as an immigrant, uh, <laughs> it's, this is the same bullshit that they've done with uh, like the residency uh, test. Because it used to be like in order to get a British passport, Oh, yeah, I know. They've heard me. Uh, <laughs> uh, in order to get a British passport, you need to pass a test. The test used to be that they asked you things like, how do you apply for benefits? How do you apply for all sorts of, uh, you know, like social uh, net, you know, kind of help from, from the state? And they don't do that anymore because they don't want immigrants to kind of know that stuff. No. <laughs> now it's like, tell us about the corn laws in your yeah. own words. <laughs> so now they ask about who died, the, I don't know. No, the, I've seen <laughs> I, people died. I, in I've seen the test for studying it. for that, and like the, the practice tests, and yeah, it's like one of them was. I mean, literally, it's like one of them was an easy question for me. It was when did America become independent? But the other one was about the damn corn laws. I don't know fucking shit about the corn laws. Why does somebody who moves here from Romania need to know about the corn laws? Because we pick the corn. <laughs> <laughs> you must be abreast of at least the basis of the laws. Um, no, actually, the sort of questions they ask you are things like, "Now, when someone says they don't agree with socialism, what do we say?" <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, but it's it's all this thing, or it's it's all just the same thing. Where wh whether they're sort of making an app that breaks on purpose, or like a, a really difficult, pointless history test, or you have to like solve a complicated maze, it's all just about like it all just is about policing this border of of citizenship and trying to just usher people out of the country as fast as possible. Like soon, you're like, if Matt Hancock ever becomes Home Secretary, there's going to be an obstacle course to get a British passport. Hell yeah. That would be the fairest, the survival of the strong. <laughs> you want to come to Britain, you better be strong. Like that's that's, that's all we're saying. Can you toss a caber? Call us. <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like right now, it's an it's a failure prone app. But how long before it's like a bizarre and gruesome Running Man style spectacle in order to be able to get a work visa? It's oh, like, well, we're it's... gonna run out of petrol anyway. Can you push a car? Well, if you can't, don't come mm. here. And it's minor, minor minister in the Department for Rural Affairs and Bitcoin failure prone app. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
on the on the topic of failure prone apps, uh, I spoke with an app developer who has worked with both Android and iPhone, um, and had a conversation. Oh, major apps, yeah, all well, major apps, you know, major OSs um, about the app dev process, how you release things for testing, and whether or not the UK government has fucked it again. So we're just going to roll that. Stay footage. tuned to find out. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Ryan Jones. I've been working in app development for the last ten years, roughly, uh, since the iPad came out. Um, and I've been working in various industries, but definitely focused on Apple uh, app development and have had experience with Android as well, but uh, definitely focused on the Apple platform. Gotcha. And so when you have a new app getting getting tested for deployment and then deployed, what is that timeline usually like? Uh, it depends on how planned out your uh, your project is so I've been in small environments where it's just me uh, building an app, or it's you know a handful of people, but um, or or a bigger project where we've had eighteen plus developers on a project. Uh, and so when you get into you know how planned out are you handling the planning or is somebody else handling the planning? If somebody else is handling the planning, you definitely have a lot more resources to be able to test it with uh, you know a wider audience or more people. Um, you, sometimes you have dedicated QA resources, uh, quality assurance resources that can run through and uh, test your functionality. Um, depends on how much time you have as well, especially in smaller environments. Um, automating some of that testing, uh, unit tests, uh, UI automation. Um, but as far as um, just depending on the scale and the scope and who you've hired, uh, it can vary wildly. Yeah, and I'm wondering too because you said you had some experience with Android apps. That uh, have you experienced situations before where an app will function? I mean, in beta testing or otherwise, will function well on one Android device, but then will not work on another. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Android's a very kind of wild west, if you will, um, when it comes to both devices and the OS itself, uh, the Android operating system. Uh, there's very Wildly different variations. You have the kind of like feature phone equivalent, like the the old flip phone type things, where you have very minimal uh, resources. You you know it's basically made to be cheap, and so you have kind of like the low range, and then you have the high end range, which is like your Samsungs and your um, Google phones, Google Pixels that um, you know have far more features, have far more processing power, more capabilities, um, and so you have this wild range of people who are going for budget or going for features. And so you have to kind of build to all of these variations. There's a couple thousand uh, Android phones on the market at any given time. And so you have to kind of work around what and, uh, Google has provided through the Android operating system, but then also kind of navigate any special flares that uh, uh, third-party manufacturers have come up with, like, Samsung has its own software layer on top of the Android operating system. So you have all of these possible variations and, and possibilities. So one thing could work perfectly fine on like a Google Pixel and break completely on a Samsung phone. You just have these innumerable, calculable uh, possibilities of failure. Gotcha. I guess to me, it, it, the thing that, that has been shocking to us in the UK has been that 
because of the fact that there there is a possibility we're not sure yet but where there is a possibility that come 29 march of this year a number of people who would previously have no immigration problems might find themselves lacking in status if they haven't filed for status through this program through this this application at the home office um, but at the same time you know you're encountering situations in which people are getting locked out of it because their devices aren't working and you know there there was one story one anecdote in that guardian article that we discussed where uh, a university basically used money to buy a higher end samsung phone so that they could you know help their students use it for this app because the students phones weren't working with it um and so i i'm i, I guess in your experience have you seen apps in the us in that are used for you know kind of make or break things like huge issues like people's residency in a country or something along those lines? I haven't seen anything like that specifically. Uh, I mean, there's definitely possibilities. I mean, I've worked on airline application um, for one of the major carriers and, you know, that stuff has to work too. I mean, you get in yeah. a lot of, get in a lot of trouble with time zones for sure. But um, as far as I haven't specifically seen anything like that, or at least kind of this big kind of large scale I don't want to call it a failure because I'm not too, you know, familiar with what's happened. But, um, it, it, you know, there's definitely things that happen when you're testing and you're developing. Um, and then once you release it, you really had no clue that this could possibly happen. Yeah, and I think the thing that, that has been a shock to us watching this is that, obviously, this process is really fraught because the people who are applying for it right now who have the ability to download this app and and apply for status they want to stay in the united kingdom and they're worried like when they get you know get locked out of their account or they get told that you know their data didn't didn't scan correctly there's this underlying anxiety of oh my god am i going to lose my status in this country am i going to get deported and so in a way watching this happen there's this uh, there's this feeling that even if it's not deliberate cruelty, it just seems like it hadn't been thought out. And I realize that like it's hard to look at a project from afar and say, okay, this is this is intentional, or is this this is just incompetence, or maybe this is just we're not getting the full picture. But I, the reason I wanted to talk to you about it was just uh, it seemed it seemed like a faith in technology that superseded common sense. And there was, you know, uh, one of the articles talking about the um, the passport chip scanning thing w made the same comment um, that there just seems to be this amongst the British government, this faith in technology. Uh, and hearing you, you describe it, it sounds like actually you have to, to really, you have to get into the weeds and really try out as many opportunities as you can to, to, to make it fail, make it break before you know if it's actually something you can deploy, you know, as a normal, like, like out into a general population. Yeah, I mean, you think about building a car, right? You you don't just kind of like say, oh, I'm going to take my best guess and then send it out into the world. There's there's regulations, yeah. there's other things in pro, you know, in place to make sure that this is a safe thing to do. Um, there's you know a myriad of ways to handle this, but you know, even as an app developer myself, there are some things that are better left to be done in person. And I feel like sometimes you know when it involves legal paperwork and getting into, you know, immigration status that, you know, you can have an app to handle some of this stuff, but, you know, there, it's not just the app. It's not like everything was self-contained in the application. You have a server component that, you know, stores this data that needs to be secured, that needs to be handled, um, that needs to be built to interface with the app. Uh, and so, you know, there's many multiple points of failure when you introduce more and more complexity. Um, and so, you know, some things like this maybe are better done 
in person, um, you know, sit down or, you know, in more traditional means, but there's definitely some sort of benefit to the mobility of it all and not having to schedule an appointment and not having to do all yeah. that. So, you know, it's a, it's a toss up, but if it, but when it doesn't work, you will hear about how it doesn't work. But Nate, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, sort out my citizenship, I want to be able to log in with Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's this, you were saying earlier, right? Like this is just goes back to their, the, the Instagram style of Tori, who is just boundlessly faithful in sort of technology qua technology as the thing that's just going to sort of soften the blow of whatever awful policy they've got. Where they're just like, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a someone said to the Sag something along the lines of, what if an app could solve the problem? And then they just sort of said, okay, we'll have an app because they think, oh, an app is inherently a good thing because I love my kids love Flappy Bird and they never talk to me. But who boy do they like that game? So I bet I bet the kids will love submitting all their documents on uh, on our cool Tory app for you know for for awesome teens to <laughs> and submit lo documents. And thee unto the Sag. <laughs> what what my liege? If there were to be some kind of app of of some sort, one of these dervishes of old. <laughs> I, I, so it's interesting you brought that up, Riley, because as I was researching this, and I found some some great reporting in the Guardian, uh, which I basically cribbed and sent to my sources to read. Uh, there's an article talking about this from April of last year uh, by Daniel Boffy and Lisa O'Carroll from the uh, from the Guardian. And one of the quotes from that piece I thought was really interesting. Um, the guy, basically referencing Guy Verhofstadt talking about the Windrush generation, but uh, it specifically quotes a, an MEP from London named Claude Moraes. He says, the chair of the European Parliament Civil Liberties Community, he said, in my opinion, there's need for more of this investment. They seem to understand the political immensity of this. They seem to understand that there's no history globally of registration systems based on this technology working. And then the story continues on. It says, one person in the meeting is said to have quipped, it's like the Irish border. They're trying to solve the problem with technology and we know it won't work. Well, it's because it's not a technical problem. It's no, fundamentally it, not a technical problem. And they're trying to, they're just trying to basically, they're trying to use technology to say, don't pay attention to this. To say, don't think about it. Don't think about it critically. We're just going to sort of say we've solved it and you don't understand how and you don't need to. And then they act surprised when it doesn't work. But also it's... it's <laughs> we put Ireland on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, kind of. That is their idea. Well, I mean, I, I thought about this because, you know, I had to go to uh, a couple of months ago, I had to get my national insurance number and I had to go to job center to get the, get, get the, 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 the have the sit down meeting with somebody to confirm that I was who I said I was and that, you know, why I was in the UK. And even though I'm a UK citizen, I still had to like show documentation. And there's nothing about that meeting that needed to be in person but in order to, one imagines that in order for the, the documentation to be filled out in such a way that it can receive the stamp it needs to receive in order to be approved, in terms of the amount of failures re failures required, it or the amount of failures that would take place uh, if people just kind of did it on their own without instruction, especially when you think about language barriers, um, it's probably it's probably easier in the long run in ter terms of throughput to just have the person be there in person and do it because if every single person fills out that form the way they think they're supposed to, who knows how much longer it would take someone to review it, right? So imagine that as the conceit. So same thing goes with this. The, the real solution is if you're going to make EU citizens register and you're going to make them pay a fee, then make it convenient for them to do it. But that has to still have to be done in such a way that like the very obvious thing of a person presenting their documents, getting scanned or whatever, and getting submitted is done. They don't want to hire people. They don't want to open offices. They don't want there to be an office where you can do this in like Truro. You have to take a train to Bath. They don't want to have an office in Aberdeen. You have to take a train to Edinburgh. And what that winds up doing is like you said earlier, Riley, fucking over people who can't afford it. 
Because if you have money, you don't need this. You can use a lawyer. If you have money, you probably live in the cities where you can go in person. Or if you have money, you have the phone where this works. I, I feel like I understand where they're coming from with this whole thing. Because I understand, you know, you, you're a British politician. You, you care about this country. You don't want people coming in with, like, razors, razor phones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, a little bit of a thing. But I find it weird because they think that something like this would pull uh, or put uh, immigrants away from uh, signing up. You know, most immigrants don't even speak English and they still manage to figure out their way. They're going to figure out a way uh, this. There's going to be some Turkish, probably, (laughs) (laughs) immigrants who are going to start a, a company to help out (laughs) <laughs> the fellow immigrants to fill out this fucking thing. Well, I love the idea when they said that the, one of the university libraries had a thing where they bought like a Galaxy X9 or S9 or whatever the newest model was so that people could come in and use it because they knew it would work. Imagine if like this is just another rent to own scheme. It's like, do you want to stay in the UK? Well, pay 20 pounds an hour and then you can use my Samsung Galaxy oh, and you can stay here. So many opportunities for entrepreneurship. Uh, our favorite it's like, word. It's like prison. It's like being in prison. Yeah. Okay. Right? <laughs> Go on. No, I mean like being in prison and like, you know, when one of the people, you know, if you have your, if if you have a mobile phone in prison, you can charge people ridiculous amounts to use it, right? Is that true? Well, no, yeah, I mean, and, and, I've seen it on you, at yeah. least two television shows. And, and I don't know if you saw with a phone, but if it's two guys, then it's you know free market. Yeah, right? <laughs> but I don't know if you heard Sag <laughs> Javid. And, and you know that's what I've learned from low tax Chloe. That's good. <laughs> I mean, Sag <laughs> Javid did say that if you, it's the fee is sixty five pounds. You can pay it in pounds or in cigarettes. Mm. But one way or the other, it's gonna get paid. <laughs> but in, in many based- ways, in many ways, the prison economy is the freest economy of all. You can pay in boy pussy, <laughs> the truest currency of all. It's oh. creating jobs, right? <laughs> Finally, oh. the UK government is creating jobs. It's very good. Um, I mean, to be fair, also you can excuse the UK government doing this really inefficiently because if you're trying to look, if you're trying to look at, okay, what would be an efficient way of registering all these people by their nationality and making sure they end up in the right place, and you try and look at historical precedent, you'd have to start learning from some very dodgy people. <laughs> okay, well, there's this one guy, a Mister H Himmler, who had a he had a pretty good system for this. So let's see, what did he do? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't read it. I didn't read the document. I don't know. All right. I just know he lives in Argentina now. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Senor. <laughs> Senor H. Himmler. Speaking of, uh, uh, of a lot of Germans who moved to South America. Um, <clears throat> uh, I know. I, I, I have a source. time to sing the anthem. I have sourced us a, a, little, a little article. A, a little article aduccio. A tasty morsel uh, from... From from the one of the one of Britain's many brain god columnists, James Bloodworth, uh, who has written an article that I'm pretty sure is only being read by leftist irony podcasters, called "Why Is the Hard Left So Conservative?" The, the inside of James Bloodworth's head is just a fox hunt. <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is a re- look. We talk about thinking too a lot. This is an article that is riven with thinking too. No, 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 no. You talk about thinking too a lot. You I find do. a way to shoehorn it into everything because it's a very good concept, and I'm, I will I'm use it all the time. It. I think enough people do thinking too that it does like warrant thinking too. Too thinking too furious. Well, this okay. <laughs> this is too. This is very much too thinking. I'm waiting too for furious. thinking three. Tokyo think. <laughs> Tokyo thinked. Tokyo Tokyo thinked. Well, this is this is Caracas think right here because this is a certain Mr. Bloodworth's view on why the hard left is now fundamentally conservative. Shall we get into it, folks? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. 
Revolution, he writes, has become a dirty word on the socialist left. This might sound strange when it is dominated by so many pseudo-revolutionaries, resurgent with their own highfalutin rhetoric about radical change. This article is already so kinky. Like, it, just, <laughs> it has a weird sexual overtone to it, which is already rousing something in me. But I think it's the way you read it, because I imagine if you read like Martin Luther's I Have a Dream speech in that tone, it's still going to be like, what? Brothers and sisters playing together, children? Very good. Stepbrothers and sisters oh, no. playing together. But strip away the wordplay, and what is left is a disposition. Fake, fake Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Holy fuck. I will wait. <laughs> oh. But strip away the wordplay, and what's left is a disposition that is deeply conservative. This is, this is, of course, setting up thinking, too, because he is saying something that is very, very counterintuitive. This is most obvious, perhaps, in the area of foreign policy. This is defined not merely by hostility towards Western military intervention, perhaps understandable considering the recent, read, constant, forever, history of botched American invasions, but opposition to revolution across the board. This can be seen in response to Venezuela. The economic incompetence of the Venezuelan government has prompted the largest refugee crisis in the history of Latin America. Wait, but there wasn't a revolution in Venezuela. Maduro won an election. And then, and then America was like, no, we don't like him. We like the other guy. I mean, the accusation was that Maduro, like, well, I mean, as, as with the accusations with any, with, with, you know, in any situation like this was that like he rigged the election to win. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and this is kind of, cause what I was, what I was saying in the pre-notes was that like, this isn't, the take that he's got, like, isn't a new take. Like there have been various iterations of that, that have come out of, you know, both centrist and reactionary right circles yeah um so that's kind of the general basis that like the left are willingly ignoring like a rigged election so yeah i mean and we all know that the venezuelans didn't rig the election the russians did (laughs) they love they love rigging elections to make it so that the various sort of handsome uh handsome young leaders like uh like macron who obviously has his opinion polls rigged against him or um that sexy guaido who just gets to declare himself guaido president Fox. of venezuela guaido yeah Fox. Guaido Fox. <laughs> well there's the title of the episode um but also the fact that there's that they're saying yeah, the, this is the largest refugee crisis in the history of latin america as though it's not a country that america has just like been shipping out death squads to as its main uh, import uh, export rather well to be fair venezuela less so but yes uh i mean the the country in the region that's probably had the largest military presence in terms of like training and doing bad things is colombia its neighbor uh coincidence i'm sure we also invaded panama in 1989 we also uh sponsored death squads in el salvador and guatemala basically since world war ii for just two uh, pounds a month you <laughs> can <sponsor laughs> a death squad, quite, quite. Death squad. <laughs> we also it's like all these guys and like their guns are all rusty <laughs> <laughs> and like, just sad violin music while you're watching these guys Pablo sit around hasn't murdered a child in over two weeks <laughs> Well, yeah, also, I mean, we supported the, the, the military dictatorship in Brazil. So basically, when you think about those problems in the area, like why people live in poverty, why people are in Venezuela more um, strongly affected by the price shocks in oil is because like the level of privation in that area uh, has been shockingly bad for a long time. And whereas in other countries, um, 
they can reallocate resources, you know, like with elections yeah. and such. That whenever that happens in a, uh, in Latin America, when they they elect a government that's going to do that, then all of a sudden, um, some guys with huge epaulets show up, and then it just goes on back to the old <laughs> show. All, all of a sudden, guys like like Elliot Abrams just get very concerned about democracy. A man then, who is a tank. Yeah, and then and then. Uh, and then other centrist journalists say, yes, it's difficult, but we have to support human rights there and not in any of our allies where they do all of the same things that we're accusing these people of. Yeah, I, I think that the thing with Venezuela is that um, just as Trump's administration, it's like Watergate, but like playing through a speed run. Uh, so is this Watergate like, any percent this, this <laughs> glitching through Watergate? This, this is like the Iraq war speed run because they're just like the the opportunism is just so nakedly obvious in a way that like they didn't do a particularly good job of disguising it in Iraq, but they're doing a way worse job this time. And it's just like, it's just the IDGAF version of like, we're just going to fucking invade this country. And well, it's, I, I, I'll go on with more of our, our friend, our friend James's beautiful thoughts. The United States has directed veiled threats at the Maduro government and tightened economic sanctions, but no one seriously expects the U.S. to launch a military invasion of Venezuela anytime soon. Except for the Orange. fact that except for the fact that John Bolton was snapped carrying a piece Damn. of paper that said five thousand troops to Colombia. Damn, John Bolton, the wallet inspector. <laughs> John Bolton was like, we were just playing a postal game of risk. <laughs> so I mean to be to be honest with you, I would be surprised if the US actually invaded. What it would totally do though is sponsor other people to invade oh yeah and like an you know two brigades worth of people getting sent to colombia sounds like it's a staging area for some allies and friends who care about human rights to basically cross the border and start attacking venezuela it's a, they, they they want the human they want to protect the human rights of some like of some reactionary death squad to like murder the family of anyone to the left of thatcher yeah we found some great allies and friends uh who will help us in venezuela and uh, they're really they're really big on human rights and they all love this like a uh, weird weird uh kind of it looks half like a cross and half like a propeller we, we didn't really look much into that but it's a cool it's a cool logo that they've got <laughs> you know i actually read that it was a, originally a buddhist symbol <laughs> i mean oh, to be to be honest with you the brazilians i mean um one of Bolsonaro's sort of slogans during the election in Brazil was that they were gonna they were gonna sort out Venezuela, and so I think that that's the thing. Why would that be your election slogan in Brazil? Like my my first policy as Brazilian president will be to sort out a different country. Because Venezuela was sending the bandits. And <laughs> ah. really, like all it all it comes down to. No, I mean since the oil. I'm price, learning a lot about Venezuela. I know nothing yeah, about Venezuela. So basically, Venezuela is enti- their entire sort of social safety net was funded on oil because it's the country with probably the mm. largest proven oil reserves. In the world but since oil prices have taken a shit and since things i mean to be honest with you i don't think it's it's a controversial position to say that maduro has done a worse job than chavez did of holding the sort of coalition in that country together uh they've had serious economic crises to the point where like you know they had hyperinflation and they've had um you know shortages and people have been leaving and people have been mm-hmm. going to neighboring countries like brazil like colombia like people uh, are starving because yeah. they can't buy food because they need like a truckload of money to buy bread one of the most insane stories I've heard about Venezuela. So, so Venezuela has um, state state subsidized electricity, right? Uh-huh. And there was a story during like the worst of the uh, grocery, like the, the the food shortages in Venezuela. Uh, I think the year and a half ago or a year ago, where a guy was using the electricity to mine for Bitcoin that would allow Amazing. him to exchange on this dark web thing Bitcoin for a Amazon partnership. Uh, 
gift card that he would then use to order stuff off Amazon and have it delivered to Venezuela. So he's like, oh, hell yeah. Incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm racking up fucking toilet paper and rice just buying it off Amazon with Bitcoin. I love toilet paper and rice, but you wouldn't understand because it's a Bitcoin miner in Venezuela <laughs> thing. <laughs> but the, the, I think the, the, the key takeaway here uh, is that is that they think this is the perspective of Bloodworth and Abrams and all of the other like regime change psychopaths is that is that Maduro in trying to like not and basically not privatizing the entire country um, has brought this down upon himself. And you notice like the other uh, countries that mostly rely on oil, like Saudi and so on, that are friendly with the U.S. have been able to weather that the the oil price reduction much much more effectively. I wonder why. Well, they just sold some of the gold boats. <laughs> Which were always a mistake because gold doesn't float. <laughs> but also Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia has been having similar problems, and I mean, I think that some of the like insane internal repression they've been having has been a result of like the discontent coming from the fact that like they've been dealing with a, a, a budget crisis. But Saudi Arabia can just behead fucking everyone when there's yeah. when there's internal dissent in Venezuela. <laughs> to lay off some of the beheading people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we used to have beheading every week, and now we can't afford it. <laughs> Well, that's, that, 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 but how many people live in Saudi Arabia? Like most de- desert. Like in Venezuela, there's it, all sorts of people like tangoing and tangoing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it takes at least two to tango. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, also, uh, I noticed that we we committed a, a cardinal <laughs> sin of, of of having this discussion. We brought up Saudi Arabia. Remember the uh, low oh, tax, no. Chloe low tax. Oh, owned, owned by low tax Chloe. Yeah, that's the problem. They mm. they really hate it when you sort of say the stuff that makes their position look bad. They want you just. To be to praise them and stuff, and not bring up all the shit that's awful. Um, so they is just other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so the video podcast or so that's man. different. The le- this leftist oh, yeah, video podcasts aren't real podcasts. This leftist hostility toward regime change goes well beyond fear of American military intervention. Indeed, the unlikely specter of American inv- invasion is frequently summoned as an excuse for the which- unlikely specter. Is just such a great phrase. <laughs> it's it's a- not really a specter if it's unlikely. <laughs> for withholding solidarity from oppressed people. Again, who does Bloodworth want us to have solidarity with? The oil companies that want to come in and privatize Venezuela's uh, reserves because Guaido has already said he's going to do that well it's like willful kind of like blindness isn't it and it's because it's like no i like i'm not like i don't know enough about venezuela but like i get the impression that like maybe maduro is not the best guy who's ever lived right like maybe that government has serious flaws which could be improved for the sake of the people of venezuela but like what's definitely not going to improve that is like the U.S. sweeping in and just being like, "Oh, what about this guy with the uh, the the star that looks like a propeller? <laughs> he seems fine." <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. A, he's got a cool logo. He's got edgy Hugo Boss suits. He speaks perfect German for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of the whole Ahmed Shalabi thing in Iraq that like they just picked a dude that was, if I remember correctly, living in London uh, or in the United States. And they're like, you're going you're gonna to be the president of Iraq. And obviously, like Iraqis were like, uh, who the fuck is this guy? But it's the same sort of concept that, that if I don't want to be... I don't want to like bang the drum and say that, okay, this is just, it's some, some CIA conspiracy, but I think it's just when this sort of regime change happens, it's just same kind of insane incompetence that you see around the world with, with us foibles, if you call that. Um, but in this case, what it's going to result in is, uh, is clear economic gain of a certain class of people and it's being done for that reason. And I think that while I agree with what you said, Milo, like 
you can make plenty of very clear points like shit is not all good in Venezuela, but it just seems as though this is being the, there there are million there are so many places around the world that are similarly fucked up, but they don't have the world's largest proven oil reserves. And all of a sudden this is like this an issue of such importance that Twitter revoked a blue check mark from uh from Nicolas Maduro and gave it to Juan Guaido. Why? That's Twitter. the ultimate own. Twitter is where the shit's decided, and now Juan Guaido is <laughs> Nicholas, president. It, it, Nicholas Maduro, delete your account. <laughs> it, came, it, it came to Jack Dorsey while he was having, um, while he was having a, f- a fasting hallucination. Mm. He was he was meditating he looks, in a he monastery. He looks like one of the Jack Dorsey looks like one of the villains from Dragon Ball Z. Bloodworth goes on. The regimes such as Fidel Castro's Cuba, Maoist China, and Stalinist North Korea. You may remember me from such films. <laughs> as, <laughs> and even <laughs> wait a minute as well, like Fidel Castro's Cuba and Stalinist North Korea. Well, hang on, like you like because Fidel Castro at least actually knew Stalin, whereas North Korea is not Stalin. What Stalinist? Yeah, Juche, in the, in the Juche is not hmm. Stalinism. Fucking get it right. We're a tanky factionalist podcast now <laughs> so uh, he goes on um these regimes receive and continue to receive backing from section sections of the western socialist left simply because economic life was ordered in a model that was distinct from western capitalism never mind the restriction of trade union activity the murder disappearance and torture of dissidents and the gray wastelands of state sponsored cultural life the rejection of capitalism was seen to trump everything else because again the, we've never funded people who've done all that shit in the name of fighting socialism well also it's like okay but do you think like if it we don't like it when autocrats rule. We don't like it when oil companies rule like autocrats either. Mm. I mean, it, how is that so hard to understand? Like, you, one thing can be bad and another thing can be bad, and that doesn't mean mm. that they cancel each other out. Nope. James James Bloodworth thinks that basically everyone on the everyone on in on the left in the West has basically just like has basically just put in like a, a little script in their head that says America bad uh, and then is just sort of acting that out um, like a wind up toy. Well, who's saying you care a lot about business and they want to do bu- love business and they want to do business in, in Venezuela. So yeah. I'm wondering like, what are your thoughts on this? Like, well, have you, have you found yourself in the, the angry white guy lefty basement podcast where we're yelling about factionalism and how Stalin was good? Or is there something more nuanced? We who's can take he saying this? that Stalin is good? Oh, well, that's that, that's what that's what the guy's article is saying is, is is that we must be one of these lefty people who yeah. love Stalin. We and do that's love, not we... true because those people hate us, but they love dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> they love <laughs> they love a dungaree. Um, fuck. Yeah. Uh, well, we're talking about business. We're talking about business. Okay. So I mean, it depends. It depends. You know what this like Guido guy does like you know will he wake up at five in the morning will he go running will he listen to podcasts he's one year younger or older than me damn so like will he change his name to Paul Staines <laughs> will he change his name? It's just, that's just it they're, they're afraid it's like I think the western left is afraid of, of a successful millennial <laughs> <laughs> I mean there oh, was that fuck. thing about like there was that thing about the world being run by like shithead millennials um millennials being uh, Kim Jong-un. Yeah, I mean, Kim Jong-un um, is also the same age as Wan Waido, so, uh, you know, in the grand Prince, scheme of things. Prince Salman, mm. and now this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waido has this amazing plan to make uh, Venezuela's oil much better and fresher when it gets to the consumer, so he's going to send it to everyone in a kind of, like, bag, and he's going to sell you a $700 machine that when you put the oil <laughs> into the bag, it squeezes it out into an eight-ounce glass retaining all of the freshness. Now, critics... <laughs> All of whom are anti the people have said that, you know, that you could just squeeze the bag with your hands. But actually, you'll find that you get much more oil out of the bag if you use the correct proprietary machine. 
Thank you. Uh, he concludes the article. A conservative is a fellow who stands athwart history yelling stop, the American author and commentator William Buckley Jr. once said. <laughs> a conservative is a man who stands athwart the gay Nazi orgy and says stop. <laughs> I've dropped my swastika. <laughs> Today, this applies just as well to the socialist left, for wherever you look, the more an individual styles themselves as a revolutionary, the more terrified they are when a genuine democratic revolution comes along. Uh, The thing about it is is this isn't a genuine democratic revolution. No, it is a revolution because he's going to be a leader and he's disrupting the need to be elected. (laughs) Why? It's just one of those things where I don't know if you... to, to, to go off off the comedy ledge and into the serious the, the vat of serious lava which is always a risk we face on this podcast it's, it's a vat of serious soup exactly really hot bubbling soup bubbling away on the that, stove that, that, that melts melts your bones down uh, I feel like w- I'm having lived through the Iraq war and seen this the way it was portrayed this weird kind of like you can will something into existence. Like you, I don't think that you can, you can, if you wish hard enough and you, you know, John Bolton ruffles his walrus mustache hard enough that you can somehow make people in a country decide like, okay, well, we're totally fine with this incredibly rich privileged dude suddenly being our president without an Mm. election. And it's just strange to me that these columns are so easy to write because they're not even really dealing with the situation at hand. Like this guy is just dealing with dealing in all sorts of, of platitudes. It's just more like the intolerant left who I can't cite a single fucking example of. I just have to invent this weird, the, the, the weird, a blow up doll version of Owen Jones with like dumb eyes drawn on it. Who, well, he recently who watched says, a very informative video from a, <laughs> from a woman called no tax Chloe. Yeah. It, it, you, but you see what I mean? Like it, this is, this is, this is a straw man left that he's reacting against. He's, he's very, British dad-ish being mad about the left, except it's a left a version of the left he's invented. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, right, like, he's he has invented this version of the left, and he's also invented what revolutionary means, where he says just revolutionary is just a big change for him. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's like, it's like saying, yeah, I've decided to revolutionize my colon by jamming a saw up it and pulling the, say, start, the start lever. He, he wants to talk about revolutionary wow, leaders. Vivid. Like <laughs> Mohammed bin Mohammed bin Salman, who, let's not forget... Came came about with an, a revolutionary approach to visa processing and consulates. <laughs> Absolutely revolutionary. <laughs> so th- this is the official trash future. Shut the fuck up to Unheard Magazine and everyone they publish. Yeah, I mean we we love it when fucking uh, Khashoggi moonwalks out of the Saudi embassy <laughs> because he's so alive. We love it when Khashoggi moonwalks out of the Saudi embassy to draw attention away yeah. from his blackface scandal. Not because yeah, not because the video, not because the video was being played backwards, but because Khashoggi was so alive that he couldn't help but moonwalk. He was so happy that his revolutionary visa processing experience went so well. He's like, I've never felt this young. I'm gonna moonwalk. Yeah. Why is that car driving backwards? <laughs> and then, then what's his face was like, well, it worked. So well for him. <laughs> All right, I think that's about, that about does us for today, everybody. Um, it remains to me only to remind everyone that we have a live show coming up on the twenty first of February with we a sure certain do. with a certain Josie Long at a certain Star of Kings, and a certain Eventbrite link will be posted in a certain description. And uh, you might as well get your favorite revolutionary quote of Guaido's printed on a T shirt with little comrade, should you so choose. And uh, buy a soup mug if you want. Yeah. Otherwise, please buy one. Otherwise, fill it with oil from a bag.